Catherine is going to come and read that for us. Uh, now, you'll find John chapter 14 in your pew Bibles on page 763. And uh, I'll hand over to Catherine. Thank you. Okay, so John 14, verse 15 to 31. Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. If you love me, you will obey what I command. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of Truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans, I will come to you. Before long the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, I live you also will live. On that day you will realise that I am in my Father and you are in me and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus replied, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. He who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away and I'm coming back to you. If you love me, you would be glad that I'm going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak with you much longer, for the Prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me, but the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Come now, let us leave. Here ends the reading. Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we have now to sit uh, for a little while and think more carefully about your word. <clears throat> we pray that you would help us to understand it and we pray for uh, a humility to, to sit under it and submit to you as we um, live with Jesus as our Lord and uh, come to know more of him from John's gospel. We pray for this in his name. Amen. Well, I don't know how you go with... Uh, farewells and farewell speeches they tend to be a bit of a teary affair and around our place especially uh, now that joanne's gone out to sunday school their family's hopeless uh, they, they uh, will have mum and their mum and dad will leave on the weekend but by the time they get to wednesday they've still got a few days to go and they can't even look at each other sort of they just start to get you know all worked up and ready to to cry and then it's a little bit long and drawn out it's a little bit different to a, a sailor who I knew who used to pack his bags and get organised the night before and uh, he'd uh, get all ready, get up early, have his breakfast and then when everyone just woke up he'd say, OK, see you later, boom, and sort of out the door. He'd duck off pretty quick. So he was a fan of the uh, let's have a short goodbye, not the long one. Well, I think Jesus here in this section, uh, as he talks to the disciples about his departure, he's probably a bit kind of heading back to a, a longer goodbye 
Uh, and he's taking time because he's showing the disciples some important things, things they need to know before he goes. And so in this passage today, uh, we start to see Jesus in his, in preparing his disciples for the fact that he's going to depart and not be with them in quite the same way. And so in the first place, he challenges them about how they're going to live after he's gone. You see that in the first point. Jesus challenged the disciples about their future obedience. Well, there's a couple of references which can see this topic come out, and I'll read them to you. Verse 15 says, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Verse 21 says, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. And verse 23 uh, verse 24, he who does not love me will not obey my teaching. And so to begin with, we get this impression that we can't drive a wedge between loving Jesus on the one hand and ignoring what he says about how we should live his way. In fact, uh, there's a reference in 1 John that says, this is love for God to obey his commands and his commands are not burdensome. And so... To start with, we see the disciples are being challenged. Ready? Will they love Jesus in the future? When he's gone, will they love him? Well, he's already challenged them about a commandment uh, a couple of weeks ago. We looked at the new commandment to love one another as Jesus has loved them. And uh, as Scott's pointed out in weeks gone by, he loved them by laying down his life for them. And so the challenge for them was to love their brothers and sisters in Christ, just as he loved them. And we're also challenged as disciples of Jesus to love our brothers and sisters in Christ as well. But that's, uh, that's, that is one challenge. It can be challenging to love each other, can't it? Uh, we all know our shortcomings and the different uh, ways we fail in life, uh, and it can be a challenge to love each other. It's a good challenge. But Jesus still turns up the heat a bit more with regard to his commands. Here's another one that he gave in Matthew's Gospel. He said, You've heard it said, Love your neighbour and hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So whilst on the one hand we're challenged to love the brothers in Christ, brothers and sisters in Christ, on the other hand, Jesus commands us to love our enemies. And then he extends it further and says, Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Well, if it can be hard to love your enemy, and I think you know, there's probably not too many people here who are masters at that, it's probably even harder to be perfect as our Heavenly Father's perfect. And yet this is the challenge that Jesus gives to his disciples, to be people who obey his commands. Do we love Jesus? Well, if we do, we've got to show it by at least having a go at rising to those sort of challenges. The fact is, though, we, um, we know we won't always do that. Uh, we won't be perfect as our Heavenly Father's perfect. Uh, we know that there's no superheroes within this church, that no one's going to do that. Uh, in fact, we all have a solidarity with each other, don't we, that we, we each together fail uh, 
to live up to how God calls us to live. And yet there remains the challenge for us to take seriously this uh, need for us to change, to be godly disciples of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so even as we take that point about loving our enemies, if you think for a little while about some of the people who you might maybe consider an enemy, and what it might be looking like in your life for treating them differently. I wonder if there's ways that you could um, change that I could change. Yeah. At least we could pray for our enemies. That's the first step, isn't it? Um, but this is the challenge for us, to think about how it is that we're going to show a, a godliness of life uh, that shows we really are people who love the Lord Jesus. It's not just about putting a fish sticker on our car that we show we love Jesus. It's how we live. Well, Jesus continues then to prepare the disciples for his departure by talking about the Spirit who will come after him. We see that in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counsellor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. In verse 23, Jesus says, uh, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. And in verse 25, all this I've spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the disciples promise that even after Jesus leaves, there is going to be a spiritual reality in their lives. The Spirit of Truth here is known in, uh, at least the NIV translates it, a Counselor. Uh, but the, the Greek word is paraclete, and it literally means to call alongside. And there's kind of a legal sort of a background where someone might have been called as an advocate or as a, as a witness uh, to help, help somebody out. Uh, the idea of a counsellor, if anything, it's more like Queen's Council, uh, a legal representative that can help you if you've got enough money to pay for a QC. Um, it's a bit different to the idea of a cabin counsellor on a camp. When I used to go on Christian youth camps, we'd, I'd be a cabin counsellor with a few kids and when they were naughty, we'd put them out in the snow. No, <laughs> It's a bit different to that idea of a counsellor uh, or even a marriage counsellor. This is a, a bit of a legal background to say that someone's there to help strengthen and help uh, and that's what this counsellor is going to do. But it's interesting to note it's called another counsellor. Jesus has this word paraclete referred to him in, John's, uh, in 1 John where it says, We have one who speaks to the Father in our defence, Jesus Christ. So while Jesus was on earth with the disciples, he was the one who was strengthening them. He was the one who was trying to uh, help his disciples, but he is also conscious that he's going to go. He's going to go. I should get my English diction a bit sharper. He's going to go and he's promising another counsellor, which is not himself in the, in the precise sense, it is the Holy Spirit. And he's frank to point out that the world doesn't accept the Holy Spirit. It neither sees him nor knows him. And at one level, we shouldn't be surprised that the world doesn't see 
life the same way that we do. As Christians, as people who put our trust in Jesus who came and lived and died for us and is the rule of the world, we shouldn't be surprised when other people who are not Christians don't believe that. They, because that is a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual struggle where the Spirit needs to open blind eyes. Even as Brett prayed in his, his prayer, he talked about that. God's Word reminds us that the person without God's Spirit can't accept these sorts of things. They're spiritually discerned. We know that from 1 Corinthians. Uh, even within John's Gospel, we're told that people won't even come into the light uh, because their deeds will be seen for what they are. They, they hide from it. But at other times, the Bible tells us the, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You can hear it sound, but you can't see where it's coming from or where it's going. You can't see how the Spirit works in people's lives, but some people get spiritually reborn as they put their trust in that verse, John 3.16, where whoever believes in Jesus should not perish but have eternal life. And so... We're with this situation where the world doesn't accept the things of the Spirit. And so as we talk to people about the Gospel, if, if it's as though there's a, a kind of a fog in front of them, well, Jesus is saying we need to appreciate that that's how things are. It's only as the Spirit opens their eyes that they actually start to understand the good news about what Jesus has done. Well, what is promised next to the disciples is that there is an intimate relationship between God and his people. In verse 23, Jesus says, If anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, throughout um, the Bible, we're reminded that God does dwell in Christians' lives, and he does it by means of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, we're told that whoever believes in the gospel receives the Spirit as a deposit guaranteeing their inheritance. And so Christians, uh, as they trust in Jesus, receive the gift of the Spirit. But this reference in John's gospel could also be referring to the end times when we go to live with God. Uh, Jesus has said at John 14 at the start, uh, in my Father's house there are many rooms, I'll go there to prepare a place for you and, and the dwelling at the end will be with God and his people. So he could be talking about that end time dwelling. But while he's talking about the Holy Spirit here, it seems to make sense that uh, he's saying we will come to him and make our home with him. Jesus is saying God's going to take up residency in our lives by means of the Spirit. Now, that's a wonderful experience. That's a gift. And as Christians, we ought to remember that we do experience something of God. As we come to know Jesus, we actually receive God's Spirit within us. And that's a wonderful gift. At times I've noticed some people want to denigrate that experience that we have as Christians. And they want to invite us. Well, certainly they want to invite me. I seem to have a target on my back now and again where people want to invite me to another meeting to have a second blessing. They say to me things like, look, there's just so much more for you to experience of the Spirit and uh, you wouldn't understand what I'm talking about until you've had this new experience. And so I've had it laid on my conscience that uh, I need to have something extra than what I've already got. But the Bible tells us if we put our trust in Jesus and live with him as Lord and Saviour, that can only happen because the Spirit works in us anyway. 
And it reminds us that if we do put our trust in Jesus, the Spirit is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in the future, that the Spirit does live within us. And so the implication is that, we, that if I need a, a second blessing, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that term povo. Any teenagers amongst us here? Who's heard of povo things? I think it's short for poverty. Yeah, so I think the implication is I'm a povo Christian. What I have of the Spirit isn't enough and that somehow I need to go to one of these meetings and have the uh, super-duper experience of a second blessing. Um, it's happened to me in the last week that I've even been invited to, to go to a meeting to have something more and I want to be saying, look, you know, I'm a Christian. We can talk direct to God. We've got it all in Christ. Um, Let's get a grip here. The mission field's not other Christians. The mission field is people who don't yet know the Lord. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. We shouldn't be trying to drum up business targeting other Christians. So, yeah, I, I was polite, don't worry. <laughs> but I was, I was committed to saying I think this is a good mission field to keep on uh, sharing the gospel in Scripture with kids who need to hear the news. And, yes, we have salvation in Christ and that's a, that's a good thing. I'm not sure what your pressing's helpful. Well, getting a bit excited there. Okay, well Jesus continues to speak to the disciples about his departure and as he does, he also takes into account the writing of the New Testament. You see that in verse 25. He says, All this I have spoken while still with you, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I've said to you. Uh, throughout John's Gospel, there were times like when uh, Jesus cleansed the temple where he says, you know, destroy this temple and I'll rebuild it in three days. Later on, it was only after Jesus was raised and they'd received the Spirit that they understood that Jesus was talking about his body, not the actual physical temple. Uh, on Palm Sunday, uh, this is written, uh, Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey, sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. And this is what John says. At first, the disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. See, John's saying the Spirit seems to fill out what Jesus has taught them. When the Spirit comes... Uh, after Jesus dies and is raised again and glorified, the Spirit comes and reminds the disciples more fully of what Jesus has taught them. And so these are words of comfort to the disciples as well. Uh, we can't necessarily expect that the Spirit's going to give us a bolt from the blue reminding us of everything that Jesus has done. We weren't the first witnesses. Uh, so this seems to be directed specifically at these first disciples. And finally, Jesus goes on... Uh, and continues to talk to his disciples about going to the Father and he offers comfort to them uh, for those who are going to be left behind. Comfort for those who love him. And he says in verse 27, Peace I leave, you, I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Well, the world seems to offer degrees of peace, doesn't it? Uh, we're invited to vote for particular political parties on the basis of stable government. They, they're saying we can bring peace. 
And stable government's certainly a nice thing, isn't it? I watched, had a look at a cartoon in the Sydney Morning Herald this week which showed a regime change sweeps the world. Uh, let's talk about you know Mubarak thrown out of uh, Egypt and uh, there's an uprising in uh, Bahrain against the royal family and Gaddafi in a horrible way is putting down an uprising and then it shows New South Wales state Labor and people <laughs> sitting there watching the TV and saying oh we'll have to vote for the next mob. <laughs> it was quite funny to see how we have quite a, a good approach to changing government in Australia and so peace and stability is a good thing but the kind of peace on earth uh, is still limited in its scope because the peace that people need above all is peace with God. And that peace in uh, the Bible is described in this way in Philippians 4 verse 7. The peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace that we have with God is more important even then uh, a political piece that we, we might find helpful. Next time you go to sleep or you're heading off to sleep and you're worried about things and you're anxious and you're finding it hard to get to sleep because of your worries, we need to remember the peace that we have with God. And when you wake up in the morning before you start the day and you, you have one thing called a panic attack where your adrenaline starts going through your body and your heart starts beating fast, and you can hear your heart and your ears and you're all worried about the day, we need to remember at those times we've got the important peace. We've got peace with God. And so we can face the future with hope, even if life is difficult. We can't forget that this life and its own troubles are limited, and at the end of the day they are passing away. There's only so much that we should worry about this age. And we need to keep coming back to the, the critical thing that we do have peace with God. Well, Jesus continues to give a little bit more perspective to the disciples as he, as he give, gives words of comfort. And he tries to help them understand something of his departure as a positive thing in verse 28 and 29. He says, You've heard me say that I'm going away and I'm coming back to you. If you loved me, you would be glad that I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. The disciples might be thinking a little bit less about the advantage to Jesus to going to be with his Father. Um, Jesus is saying if they loved him, they would be glad that he's going. It's actually a good thing that Jesus goes to be with his Father and away from a world with uh, trouble and sin but they're probably thinking a bit more about themselves and the frailty of their own lives rather than that actually, it's actually a good thing that Jesus goes to be with God the Father uh, in this verse we're, we're told for the Father is greater than I uh, some people have used this sort of reference in the past to say that Jesus is not uh, God incarnate he's not fully God but that's actually only one strand of what the Bible teaches about Jesus. It, it does teach us in other places that he was God come in the flesh into the earth. But in other parts of the Bible we're taught that Jesus is what might be called functionally subordinate to God the Father in that he's sent into the world by the Father to do his will um, and willingly obeys his Father. And So there's a sense in which in his essence Jesus is still fully God 
but in his function he he submits to God the Father. A little bit like um, we could say that Queen Elizabeth's functions are different to mine. Uh, she's got lots more money and she's probably more glorious in many ways. She has different functions that I don't have. But if it came to thinking about us as human beings, uh, you know, surely one life of human beings, you know, we're, we're both more important than the animals, aren't we? Hopefully if there's a burning building, you, you know, hopefully someone will want to come and save me, maybe than just the queen. But the point here is Jesus is still in essence God, but he has a different kind of function. And finally, Jesus reminds the disciples that uh, as he goes back to the Father by way of the cross, it's because of his willingness to obey God that he's actually going to die. It's not because Satan has somehow got the upper hand. In verse 30 he says, I will not speak with you much longer, for the prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father, and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Jesus hasn't sinned. Satan has no claim on Jesus. Satan doesn't have the upper hand over Jesus. And this is happening, his death is happening because he's willing to obey God and bring about the only way for the salvation of the world. It's not as though Satan has somehow got the upper hand. And so that's also a comfort for the disciples. Well, Jesus later on does depart, um, but he's left the disciples with words of a challenge and he's also left them with words of comfort. And this morning we've also been challenged to test our love for Jesus, not by simply wearing, a, say, a WWJD band on our hand, but maybe by following his commandments. And we've um, thought a bit about the commandments to love the brothers. We've thought about the challenge to love our enemies even. And thought about how Jesus calls his people to be perfect as his heavenly father's perfect. So there's, there's plenty of work in hand for us to do to think about how we can show our love for Jesus in action. And we've recalled Jesus' words about the spirit of truth. And we understand that he sent the spirit, that as we put our trust in Jesus, the spirit takes up residency in our lives uh, and we have an experience with God where we're right with God. And we're reminded that we don't need to let anybody look down on that uh, experience that we have, that we're not povo Christians. If we um, put our trust in Jesus, we don't need some other uh, second blessing. We're right with God. We can talk direct with God. We stand at peace with God as his people. Uh, we don't need something additional. And we've been reminded that in the uncertainty of a world that's unstable and difficult, that offers peace, there's only so much peace that we can expect in this age. And it's limited. But the important peace that we need is to hold on to the peace that we have with God. And that's a peace that uh, helps us face the future amongst difficulties. And that's a peace which goes beyond understanding. And it's a peace we should um, be grateful for and rejoice in. So this week, let's continue to be people who show our love for Jesus by obeying his commands and changing and working it, uh, growing it in our godliness. Let's recall the reality of the Spirit in our lives and be grateful that he dwells within us and let us enjoy the peace that God gives us and, and be content in it. Let's pray.
Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for Jesus and for what he's done, that he lived and willingly laid down his life for us and our sin. And as we think about our lives and how we do fall short in many ways, we are very grateful for our Saviour, Jesus. Lord God, we um, ask that you would change us over time. We pray that you would help us to show our love for Jesus and our, our gratitude by being obedient to him and to obey his commands. Father, we pray for our enemies at this time, the people we think we're, we're a bit offside with, and we pray that you would help us to think of ways that we can treat them differently because we're called to be your people. Father, we thank you for the work of your spirit in our lives, that uh, the wind blows wherever it pleases and that you've um, blown into our lives and uh, shown us our sin and our need for a saviour. And we thank you that um, you come into our hearts by your spirit. Father, we thank you that we do have a rich relationship with you, a rich experience with you, that we can talk to you as our God and live with you uh, as our God and we are, we are your people. And Father, we um, pray that you would help us to remember the peace that we have with you. We ask you would um, help us to be content in your peace, even amongst the difficulties of life, that we would uh, be very content with being right with you, even though other things in life might be complicated. And we pray that 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 um, peace might help us to keep stepping out and moving on in our lives to, um, to live for you and live with hope in our lives. We pray for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.